0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of a Vision for You big book study. My name is Melanie C., a recovery compulsive overeater living in Canby, Oregon. Today is Sunday, March 6, 2022, and the share ID numbers for Friday, that would be March, let me see what that date is, 4th, 2022, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study meeting is 1863418,634, and the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study share ID number is 1863518,635. Today, A Vision for You presents finding peace through the 12 steps. Today's topic is of particular interest to those of us who seek the pathway to internal peace, living free from the disease of compulsive overeating. Thank you so much for investing your time here together with us this morning. I believe you won't be disappointed. For many, for not, perhaps not all, but many of the compulsive overeaters here truly suffer to the depths of the pit of what one might call hell on earth. We align right up there with the addicts of all sorts. The disease which centers in the mind ravages obsessively day and night, never silenced unless we can once again succumb to the desire that drives us to pick up again and again. And that desire and that bite doesn't last. That moment of relief doesn't last. The vicious cycle again and again and again and again enslaves us. We must repeat it. Torture and torment raging through our minds, our body, and our soul. There is no peace. This goes on and on and on. For many of this last years, decades even, finding peace, the silence, the quieted mind, soothing body, comfort of the soul, reassurance, hope, promise. How is this to be, you might ask? The big book written so eloquently penned the entire piece on spiritual peace, freedom, absolute peace. Bill writes on page 83 and 84, We will comprehend the word peace. I'm sorry. Let me read that more specifically to the the statement here. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. And I like to play around with words a little bit. So if you might indulge me, I'll reword this. We will be conscious of stillness, and we will know bliss. Bill writes again on page 8 of the big book, I was to know happiness peace and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. And again, I take liberty. I was, I was to experience contentment, harmony, and togetherness incredibly more magnificent as time passes into peace. The 12 steps represents a process of spiritual awakening, a roadmap towards this peace. It quiets the mind. It reconciles the spirit. It is a specific approach to affecting how a person thinks, feels, and behaves like never before under the influence of actively compulsively overeating. It is a real treatment for the disease of compulsive overeating. The practical program of action, the 12 steps, brings about this change. Here to speak today about finding peace through the 12 steps. As a fellow visionary, she truly is an ambassador, a trumpet with a heart for Overeaters Anonymous. She is unwavering in her humble service of spreading the word and participating in all things OA recovery with those that present and teach to the still suffering. Always on the ready to send a flyer or some sort of banner or a note of encouragement to inspire to make one's day brighter just at the right time. She's unwavering. The spirit of recovery burns brightly through her, and it is a privilege today to introduce to you, as our guest speaker, Nancy Jay from Illinois. She speaks on this subject of peace that can only be found in the practiced directions for recovery found in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, without further ado, please help me welcome Nancy Jay to the line this morning. Good morning, Nancy Jay. A quick star one, please, madam.
1: Melanie, hello. Thank you so much. Good morning. I was planning to start out this way, but something in my heart tells me that a lot of people would love it if I started out this way. Melanie, when I hear your voice, I think of how I met you in person. And I went to the Vision for You convention. It was in 2017. And I never knew what anybody in Vision for You looked like because we only, we only hear each other's voices. We don't see each other. There was It's not a Zoom meeting, it's a call-in meeting. And I went all by myself to the Vision for You convention in Newark, New Jersey, very, very excited. And to meet some of the people who I had heard over vision for you. And when I met you, Melanie, I was overwhelmed. You were so, you didn't know me at all. So loving, so kind, so beautiful. I thought, my goodness, she never could have had a weight problem. And then I found out to my amazement that you had uh, a huge amount of weight you lost. And I looked at you, you look like a model, a fashion model to me just beautiful, inside and out, and so kind to me. So I just want people to enjoy that memory of mine, Melanie, and of what I think of you when I hear your voice now. Now, I want to start out my talk this morning uh, on page 275 of the big book. It's from a story called The Keys of the Kingdom, beautiful story like They all are in the back of the book. This is page 275. And it's very meaningful for me because I'm 76 years old. And I'm just retiring as a lawyer. I'm almost completely done retiring. So I'm going into a new phase of life. And you know what's interesting is you retire from the practice of law. But you do not retire from the practice of these 12 steps and of this beautiful way of life. And that's why page 275 really speaks to me. I'm going to read it right in the middle. AA, and I'm going to say OA, is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life. And the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he, and I'll say she, lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. As arrested compulsive overeaters, we must have a program for living that allows for limitless expansion. And then the next page, 276, the end of the story, The Keys of the Kingdom, Continue on this theme. It says the last 17 years. I'm going to change that to seven because that's how long I've been maintaining and that's how long my recovery has been. The last seven years of my life have been rich and meaningful. I have had my share of problems, heartaches and disappointments because that is life. But also I have known a great deal of joy and a peace that is the handmaiden of an inner freedom. I have a wealth of friends and with my OA friends, an unusual quality of fellowship. For to these people, I am truly related first through mutual pain and despair, and later through mutual objectives and newfound faith and hope. And as the years go by, working together, sharing our experiences with one another, and also sharing a mutual trust, understanding, and love, without strings, without obligation, we acquire relationships that are unique and priceless. And that's why this program has such incredible meaning for me at this point in my life at age 76, because I have so much to look forward to. I'm so lucky, I'm so fortunate, and that's what I wanna talk about this morning, how I found peace through the 12 steps, and just what this program means to me. And uh, my, my prayer is that I will find somebody through my voice this morning who I can reach and they can hear what I'm saying and know that this program and this recovery is available to them. I want to start out talking about a little bit about my childhood so you get a feeling of who I am and what a miracle my recovery has been for me. And, uh, So I'm going to start out. I was born in 1945, May 24th. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, to a Jewish family, a Jewish middle-class family, wonderful people. When I think back on my family in New York, when I was a very young child, these were wonderful people. Many of them came from Europe. They fled Europe in the early 1900s from persecution, came to the United States. And, and these were great people. They're loving people. I remember bar mitzvahs and weddings and family reunions and events. And uh, there was always love and, and kindness, uh, a lot of laughter. And, uh, and my father and mother were tall, slim people, my father was an attorney, my mother was a housewife, and they were very devoted to Israel. My mother was involved with a fundraising for trees in Israel. We definitely identified as a Jewish family. We celebrated all the Jewish holidays, and I eventually was Bas mitzved. I have a Jewish name, Hanadina. But with all this said, We never prayed. We never talked about God. The only time prayer came into it is when we would light the candles on the menorah and say that prayer or at Passover say a prayer. But to me, it was kind of like children in school saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know if they really think about the words. I never did. And no one ever suggested to me that there was a God looking out for us in our everyday life, or that we could access a God, or we should pray to a God. It just wasn't part of the thought process of our family. And so I grew up that way, and today I identify as an atheist. I'm very, very strongly identified with the Jewish people. I feel tremendous identification as a, as a Jew, but an atheist. I often say if I could be hooked up to a lie detector test and you asked me, do you believe in God? I would say no and I would pass the lie detector test. In my head, I just don't believe it. That being said, and this is where my story gets very uh, confusing almost to follow, I talk to God all day long. I don't worry about that in my head, I don't believe it. Because in my heart and my soul, I believe it. To give you an example, this morning I was making my bed. And when I make my bed, I talk to God. I look upon making my bed as a meditation practice. I take extra care to smooth out the bedspread to get everything looking really perfect, the pillows lined up, the pillow shams lined up. Everything about the bed, I try to make it extra nice. And while I'm doing it, I feel like I'm doing that in conjunction with my higher power and I'm talking to my higher power and making a connection. And you'd say, well, Nancy, how can you do that if you're an atheist? And the answer is, I don't know. It's one of the miracles of my recovery that the spiritual strength of this program has completely flooded my mind and my heart. And I could almost cry talking about it. And uh, I wanna read to you something that I wrote the other day. I was sitting in my kitchen and uh, I was talking to a sponsee. And I was telling the sponsee, trying to encourage them to really work all parts of the program. And when I got off the phone with the sponsee, certain phrases and words went through my head. And I grabbed a pad and I grabbed a pen. And I wrote what I'm going to read to you now. Because it's kind of on this theme of taking actions in the program that you don't actually believe in in your head. It's called do it anyway. Don't believe in attending OA meetings, do it anyway. Don't believe in using a sponsor, do it anyway. Don't believe in reading the big book, do it anyway. Don't believe in following a food plan, do it anyway. Don't believe in seeking a higher power, Do it anyway. Don't believe in doing inventories. Do it anyway. Don't believe in making amends. Do it anyway. Don't believe in sponsoring others. Do it anyway. Don't believe you can recover from compulsive overeating. Do it anyway and cherish the miracle. Going back to my childhood, we, we, I was born in Brooklyn, we lived in Brooklyn, and then we moved out to a little town on Long Island called Freeport, right on the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, we, we lived there, it was an hour away from Brooklyn. My father's law office was in Brooklyn, and every day he took the Long Island Railroad from Freeport to Brooklyn. And we live right on the Atlantic Ocean. My father loved water and he loved boating. And um, he would often take us fishing out into the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, it was very lovely. My mother, my father, my brother, who was three years older, very shy brother, a brother who was just found life difficult, was a sweet, kind person, but he was very shy and a a loner, and I was the opposite. I was very extroverted, and I loved to jump on my bike and go to friends' homes and, and roller skate, and I had lots of friends, and so that was our family. My mother was home. She was a housewife. Was This was in the 1940s, and being a housewife was typical for for the suburb, Freeport, that we lived in, Almost everybody's, as a matter of fact, everybody's mother was home. It was, it was an era of being a housewife. And my mother was a very brilliant, dynamic woman. She was a housewife. When she cleaned that house, my father used to say, it's too clean. And uh, so we had a very happy life. And then all of a sudden, my mother started wearing a neck brace. And she said she had back issues. In the meanwhile, I was a normal eater. I, was, I wouldn't say I was skinny, but probably you could almost have said skinny. I was just an active young girl and uh, very happy with life, as I say, with lots of friends. I loved school, and uh, but I had an oral fixation. When I look back, this is like the beginning, I think, of my... This is like the first rumbles of compulsive overeating, but I didn't know it at the time. I was a big thumb sucker. Sucked my thumb all day long, except when I was with friends or in school. And I was a nail biter. I just couldn't stop biting my nails, and I tried putting all kinds of things... Band-Aids on my fingers and um, nail polish that tasted terrible. Nothing helped. Very, very determined thumbsucker, very determined nail biter. And I think uh, this oral fixation is a big part of what happened to me eventually. Getting back to my mother, she was wearing this neck brace. And uh, she was in and out of the hospital with a with, uh, back condition of some type. Uh, but very little was said about it. And uh, one day my father came to school. I was nine years old. And he said, Nancy, I'm taking you to your aunt's house. And he drove me to my aunt's house. And uh, that was in Levittown, for those of you who know Long Island. And uh, I spent the weekend there. And when I came home after the weekend, I walked into a home with everybody crying. And my father took me into a bedroom. And he said, Nancy, you know your mother's been sick for a while. And he had tears in his eyes. I said, you mean, somehow it occurred to me that he could possibly mean my mother had died because everyone was crying in this house all my relatives, and my father just shook his head yes. He never told me what she died of. I only found out about a year later that she died of cancer. She had kept it extremely quiet, and she willed herself to live to see my brother bar mitzvah at the age of 13. She died just a few weeks after his bar mitzvah. She danced at his bar mitzvah. I have pictures of her dancing with my father. And when I came home into that house of people crying, my mother had already died and was buried. I never went to a funeral. And so that was, of course, a trauma. And to make a long story short, my father eventually remarried, and that woman had mental issues, very serious mental issues, which made life living with her, extremely painful emotionally. And she died of cancer in my senior year of high school. Take a little water here. She had cancer of the foot. She had a tumor in her foot. She had her foot amputated and then her leg amputated. And so those traumas of my earlier life certainly significantly impacted my development. Uh, My thumb sucking kind of went underground. My stepmother made fun of me. Here I was, 11 years old, when my father remarried. She made fun of my... She says, you're sucking your thumb at your age? And I was so humiliated and so ashamed that I immediately stopped. The nail biting continued, but... It stopped, but I continued to suck my thumb in my sleep. And I, how do I know that? Because I'd wake up in the morning and my thumb would be wet and I'd think, oh my goodness. And this continued, it even continued to college. Unbelievable, but I had the sweetest roommate. One day she said to me, Nancy, do you know sometimes you suck your thumb? I was so embarrassed, but she's such a safe person and a kind person. She, I wasn't worried she knew that, but that's what an oral fixation I had. And still my weight was just fine. It was after I graduated from college and uh, got married and started to have children. And I'm now, by the way, I'm married 53 years to a wonderful man. We have three children seven grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. So we've been very, very blessed people. But going back to when my weight started to become a major problem, I had a really nice weight up until when I got married and started to have children. I often say it's like a switch was flipped. A switch was flipped uh, somewhere inside me that when I had my own home, my husband, my babies, I'm breastfeeding, all of a sudden something came over me that it would be really nice to just eat my way through the day and watch TV uh, and just have kind of a, oh, an unreal world uh, where nothing could hurt me. And uh, I have my children. I have my my loving family around me and tons of food. I remember going to the store and getting food and being excited about having it. And I just ate and ate and ate and watched soap operas, read romantic novels, uh, and just was in my own little world. And the weight, really came on, uh, it turned out to be over 100 pounds because I had three different pregnancies and I just got bigger with each one. And uh, it was really a shock. And, and I wasn't just an eater. I was a volume eater. I remember in those years, I, and I'm a vegetarian today, but back then I was a big meat eater. And I remember going to the store, buying a rack of ribs like you would get if you were going to have a barbecue with 20 people, great big rack of ribs, putting it in one of those big black and white enamel roasting pans that you make a turkey in, taking a jar of barbecue sauce and putting it all over the ribs, sticking it in the oven, cooking the whole thing, and eating the whole thing myself. I would buy a dozen bagels and eat all dozen. I just loved the feeling of being stuffed. I loved it. I loved that. It, it it was just a tremendous and numbing out, a feeling of safety and numbing out. And I loved that feeling. A little bit of something was never enough for me. I didn't buy just like one candy bar or uh, one small piece of slice of cake that did nothing for me. I wanted the whole sheet cake. I wanted the whole loaf of rye bread, the whole package of hot dogs with all eight hot dog buns eating all eight at once. I love being stuffed, so with that kind of a of a compulsive overeating issue taking over me and taking over my life, you can see why I was. 100 pounds and more, too heavy. So that started me off with what so many of you, it's part of your story. Um, The pay and ways, I became a lecturer for one of them. I had three classes. I loved it, but I had to resign in my own mind. They wanted me to stay and work it through. I said, no, I can't keep lecturing to people when I know I'm binging at home. I can't do that. So I quit, and sure enough, I put that 100 pounds back on. Uh, I went to one of these programs where you mix powder with water and uh, lost 100 pounds again and put it right back on. And uh, then I went to a health club where I didn't eat all day long, exercised. My husband came home from work, he's always been so supportive. He watched all the kids and I went to the health club and uh, came home and ate my one meal. I lost 100 pounds that time and became member of the month and member of the year. They put me in the newspaper. They were so proud of me each time, member of the month and member of the year. The person who lost the most weight and was the most devoted to the health club, they gave me roses. They gave me a year's free membership and they had a big write-up in the local newspaper. I looked for it this morning, I looked for the write-up because I wanted to read it to you to see how amazing it is that I could have this kind of a claim and still put my weight back on. It says here, and now the name of the health club, this is from the local newspaper, proudly announces Nancy, and then my last name, Batavia, Illinois, where that's where my husband was from the Midwest. So we moved out. I moved out from the East Coast to the Midwest. Um, Member of the Year 1978. And it says here, during the last six months, and this is supposed to be a quote for me in the paper. During the last six months, I've concentrated on both exercise and dieting, things I normally would not enjoy But thanks to, and then the name of the health club and the fine staff there, it really has been fun. I would highly recommend it as an excellent facility and then my name. And then the health club writes, and keep in mind, it's a big article in the local newspaper and my picture. Nancy lost a total of 40 and three quarter inches and 50 pounds in just six months at our health club. Awarding her efforts with a bouquet of roses, a three years program, and a gift is health club manager, and then it gives her name. And then it says, Your results begin just as soon as you do. So, wouldn't you think, with that kind of um, acclaim, that I would be able to keep that hundred pounds off? And the answer is, Nope, put it right back on. There's something in me that is craving that stuffing myself with food, not just a little bit, but stuffing myself to where I feel like I could burst, where you're um, in a in a state of uh, being numbed out and just filled with food. So one of the things I tried, I ended up going to uh, OA, and you'll ask, well, how did you even hear about OA? People ask me that. And the answer is uh, a friend, well, actually, one of my kid's friends, mothers, asked me would I go to a uh, a meeting with her because she was interested in losing weight. So I went along with her. And we went into a little Catholic church in St. Charles, Illinois, and uh there was such love in that meeting. The speaker was covered with butterflies. She, she was into butterfly pins, which is one of the symbols of OA. And uh, she talked about love. She talked about higher power. And here I am an atheist in this Catholic church. My friend happened to be Catholic. And people hugged me, they welcomed me. I explained to them that I'm really not a religious person. And they said, Oh, don't worry. The group could be your higher power. A tree in the yard could be your higher power. And they were so loving and so welcoming. I got back into the car after the meeting. My friend had driven us. And she said to me, Well, she's driving me home. She said, Well, what do you think of that meeting? And I said to her, Well, I, I thought the people were really wonderful. She said, don't tell me you liked that meeting. I said, yeah, I kind of did. She said, well, you're certainly not going to go back, are you? And I said, yeah, I think I, I might. She just couldn't believe it. She was so turned off by that meeting. And she brought me home. And at that point, we lived in a, in a big home out in the woods in Batavia. Illinois. I got out of the car, I stood in my driveway and I stood there in the driveway and I looked up at the stars. And I thought to myself, I wonder if there really could be something. It was the first time my mind ever opened up to the idea that there could be some kind of a a god or some kind of a power looking down on us. And that was the very beginning of my mind opening up a crack. And you know what's funny about that is later when I read uh, the big book and I read page 46, I was amazed because there is so much of my experience. It says on page 46, we looked upon the world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, an inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. We looked askance at many individuals who claimed to be godly. How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Yet in other moments, we found ourselves thinking, when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. That's from the chapter, We Agnostics, page 46. And right there in the big book is my experience with the Starlit Night. And that was the very first OA meeting I ever went to. I got very involved with OA at that time. I loved it, but I ended up going to law school and I drifted away from OA through the years. 35 years passed, and now I'm 272 pounds. And that's when I came back to OA April 2nd of 2015. I immediately got a sponsor. I knew how impossible it was gonna be for me to maintain any kind of weight loss because I'm great at losing weight, I'm absolutely a 100% failure at maintaining weight loss. So I knew this was going to be a tremendous uphill battle based on my personal history. And I had a lot of serious medical issues at that time. So I went to OA knowing I had to throw my heart and soul into this if it was going to have any chance. I got a sponsor. I went through the 12 steps with that sponsor. I had a food plan. I went to meetings every single night, even though I was a full-time lawyer. I would leave work a little early, go and get an abstinence dinner at a restaurant. And I drove all over the Chicago area. I went to meetings every single day. And I've kept that up till right now. I found that for me, that's important to go to a meeting every day. And now with Zoom, I go to several, often several meetings a day. And I can happily tell you, I went from 272 pounds down to 164 pounds. And that's what I weighed this morning. I've maintained that is the miracle. The losing the weight for me is not the miracle because I'm a good I'm a good soldier when I join a program. I follow the rules, I stick to it, but I just cannot maintain. This program, the 12-step program, this way of life has enabled me to maintain my weight loss. Now I wanna talk a little bit about what recovery has meant to me. And then I'm going to open it up to questions because I like to keep my talks on the shorter side so that there's enough time for questions and answers, which I think could be more meaningful to people. And my goal is to help people if I possibly can, as it's been said, to give this program to others, to give what has been so freely and beautifully given to me by so many in such a loving way. My recovery, my recovery opened up a world that I didn't have when I was eating. My husband, who's always been so supportive, as I say, we've been married 53 years. He's seen me every size and weight, supported me and loved me through all of it. My husband's big hobby is boating. We've always had boats. We started out when we first married with little teeny boats and through the years, They've gotten a little bigger and a little bigger. And now we have a sailboat that you can sleep on. And we keep it in Wisconsin. And I never wanted to go to the boat with my husband. And he was so kind, he never pushed it. I would just stay home and eat. And he would go to the boat. And I very rarely would show up. Well, once I lost my weight, I started to go down to the boat with him because I wasn't ashamed to be seen. And people were so amazed that I was there. Someone even asked me, they said, have you been to a marriage counselor? (laughs) They were just wondering why I said, I said, no. I said, I just uh, decided to come. So that was a huge change in our life that now I'm out with the living, I'm participating. And I would go to the boat with him every weekend and sleep on the boat. We made a lot of friends in this boating community. The next thing I know, I'm eating in all kinds of restaurants, and I'm the only vegetarian, I'm the only non-drinker, I'm the only one on any kind of, you might say, diet. It's my food plan. And no matter what restaurant we went to, I had no trouble finding something. And I was surrounded by people, and we went to bars. Again, I didn't drink, but that's fine. There was dancing. We would dance. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm actually dancing. It felt like I was a different human being. One of the people down at the boat was a Mary Kay saleswoman. And she kept leaving makeup on my boat, little gifts for me. She was a beautiful lady. And I kept telling her, you're wasting your time. I don't wear makeup. I just don't wear it. She says, that's okay. i like to give you gifts. And before I knew it, I was having a Mary Kay makeup party in my home for her. I told her, I don't wear makeup, but if you want me to have a party, I will. The next thing I know, I'm wearing makeup. The next thing I know, I'm wearing jewelry. The next thing I know, I'm getting nails to cover my bitten nails, acrylic nails. It was becoming a different human being. Instead of 12 sizes of clothes in my closet, it was one size. I was walking. I was walking in the park by my home where I never walked before, taking photographs of flowers and birds and doing all kinds of things that when I was in isolation in my home at 272 pounds, I had no desire to do. I went to OA workshops. I started to fly around the United States to hear different OA speakers, big book speakers, talk about the big book and what a joy I had from those experiences. So it was a totally different life. Started sponsoring people. And even though I'm an atheist, doing ten Step on page 84, doing the nightly review on page 86, saying the prayers in the morning as it's listed at the bottom of page 86, and working with others. And I want to just add this because I want to stop soon to give you a chance to ask me questions. Uh, My brother from New York moved out to Geneva to our condo building. We live in a condo now. And he bought the condo next door. And he was ill and basically dying for the last four or five years of his life. And we helped take care of him. We got home health aides. We got hospice people. Well, in 2020, he was really close to death. And hospice was there and i sat by his bed and he was in pretty much of a coma for the last week of his life and i sat there with the big book on my lap because the only prayers i really know are the prayers from the big book and here i am an atheist reading these beautiful prayers from the big book to my brother and it was such a blessing to have it and then As I say, he was in this coma. All of a sudden, the hospice lady signaled to me that my brother had passed away. You couldn't really tell because he was in kind of a coma with morphine in his system. But she could tell from his breathing and his pulse that he had passed away. And she said, Nancy, your brother has died. And all of a sudden, my phone rang. My cell phone rang. This is seconds after he died. And I'm still sitting there next to him, holding his hand, and the cell phone rings. It's a rabbi. Hospice had asked me uh, if we wanted a rabbi, and I had forgotten if I, what I ever said when we first signed on with hospice. The rabbi called me just seconds after my brother died. It's a strange rabbi that who had a connection with hospice. And I said, rabbi, rabbi, my brother just died. And I said, would you say a prayer? Is there a prayer for the dead? He said, yes. And I put, he was on my speakerphone. I held my phone up to my brother's head. I thought, who knows what he could still hear. And I said, and the rabbi said this beautiful prayer for the dead. And I cried as I listened to him saying these beautiful Hebrew words. And I am an atheist. But what the comfort. And the connection I got out of that moment, I I can't even explain how much. There's so much more I could tell you, so much more about my recovery, what it has meant to me. I have friends all over the world due to Zoom and due to OA. I tried to make a little list of some of the countries these people are in. India, Greece, Australia, Italy, England, Ireland, Sweden. Canada, Israel, and of course, all the states of the United States that we, that all the people gather in these Zoom meetings from. It has been, it has been such a blessing. And I want to end by reading Dr. Bob's plaque. This is from his home in Akron, Ohio, where he had this on his desk. And to me, this really explains the kind of peace that we can find through the 12 steps. So I'm going to read this to you. And uh, again, this is the plaque that was right on Dr. Bob's desk, which to him best described humility. And you'll hear in what I read that to him, humility also incorporates peace. You'll hear that in the second part of this. Humility is perpetual quietness of the heart. It is to have no trouble. It is never to be fretted or vexed, irritable or sore, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised it is to have a blessed home in myself where I can go and shut the door and pray to my father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and about is seeming trouble. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so
0: very much, Nancy Jade. I'm just sitting back here, just being able to so clearly walk with you through the sharing of your family life with us today and see the progression of this disease and see the peace that has come, in, come over you. I am just actually sitting here in peace listening to the journey. I appreciate that so much, um, the life of a compulsive overeating. You were know, very, very passionate in this presentation today. It's was just, just beautiful and so easy to follow and so easy to feel. Appreciate your service to all of us today and your experience, strength, and hope that you delivered to this audience today. We will have Nancy J. leave her contact information at the conclusion of the meeting, so stay tuned for that so that you can be in contact with her after this meeting as well. The SHARE ID number for this presentation today, Sunday, March 6, 2022, is the following, 18640. 16,640. Well, as Nancy so eloquently described and offered time to do, it is time to transition to the question and answer portion of this meeting. The lines will be open to, to those of you that have a question about Nancy's presentation. If you'd like to ask Nancy a question relative to the presentation today or have a question about the program or recovery, please unmute your phone by pressing star one on your phone keypad. Give me your name, the first initial of your last name, and perhaps your state, and we can then welcome you. And, and you can ask, ask your question. Question only, please, for this limited time. Who would like to K. ask me a question? Is- Larry, Larry K. The okay,
2: A. Larry Ka- K.
0: Dunmore. V- Jen A. Veronica. Larry K. Kathy M. Okay, this is Christina J. M R. Okay, hang on just Wait. a second. Let me go back over who I have so that way we know if I left anybody. Okay, I'll, this is who I have so far. I have Karen K., Larry K., Brenda, Jen A. I have Veronica. Don't have the last in there. So I, did I hear a Kathy also in there? And then I did hear Christina J. So let's go with yeah, that list yes. so yeah. far. Okay, great. Thanks, Kathy. And so let's go with that list for now, and we'll open it up again. So first up on the question portion of this meeting is Karen Kay, and then Larry, you'll follow her. Good morning, Melanie, and good morning, Nancy. Um, My name is Karen Kay from New York, and um, I just wanted to thank you so much for your share and being a part of that journey with you. Uh, My question is, what what have you gone through with... um, Physical problems and use the program to get through it. I was just diagnosed with cancer.
1: Karen. First of all, let me say that I'm so sorry to hear that you're a good friend and a beautiful person, a friend and this fellow in this program, and I'm just so sorry to hear that that news and uh As far as my own physical problems, um, right now, I'm very blessed at age 76 to be in good health. I'd say my main physical problem right now is I have arthritis, and so I have to do a lot of stretching. In order to walk and be comfortable walking, I have to really do a lot of stretching, and Uh, When I walk, the park I walk in has a lot of benches and I'll sit down and take uh, a lot of breaks. I don't use the fact that walking sometimes hurts because of the arthritis in my back. I don't use that as an excuse to be sedentary. Um, I think of my husband's aunt who died at 103 and she used to say to me, dearie, the more you do, the more you can do. And I think of her, and uh, so I try to keep myself going. But I'm very fortunate right now, and I say right now because good health is not permanent. We all know that. I'm 76 and challenges are certainly going to be ahead of me. But right now I'm very blessed that that's that's my my own personal main issue. Other than that, um, because of, I think, the healthy lifestyle I'm leading, and maybe some good luck thrown in. Uh, all the, my, the blood tests and everything I take, the doctor's visits, they all say the same thing: is terrific. And my cardiologist, I have high blood pressure. My cardiologist is stunned at the way I've maintained weight loss. He, every time I come in, he says, "My gosh, you're 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 amazing." The cardi the cardiologist is my biggest cheerleader. He's He's so overjoyed and i think part of the reason is he has a 400 pound brother and he understands the struggle and uh every time he, i smile every time i go in to see him he's so overjoyed for me so with that i pass thank you thank you nancy
0: thank you very much karen kay for your question this morning larry kay your question now please and then brenda <sighs>
2: Oh, uh, let's try again. That's better. Thanks, Melanie. And Melanie, thank you for getting up so early. I know you're out, out there, out west. And so thanks for your service. And Nancy, oh my gosh, I thank you so much for your share this morning. I, I remember when you first came into program, I don't know if you remember, we met at a local meeting not too yes. far from Geneva. Do you remember, Nance? Yeah, that was really, really nice, and I knew you, you were you were such a lovely, special person. My favorite attorney, my favorite retired attorney.
3: But, okay,
2: to the question, <laughs> to the question, um, my question is not uh, about you, but it's for you, and my question, you know, is about Walter. There's a Walter J., yeah. And uh and, and 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 so my question specifically, because you've, you've spoken about him from time to time as being this is a real mensch. This is a real supportive yes. man of honor and integrity. And I want to yes. hear more about what that's meant to you in your journey. And then the second part of the question is, do you have some thoughts about because there are people in program that don't have that, that might have the opposite of a of a lovely Walter J., um, so maybe you can give some contrasting thoughts about that if you have any.
1: Does that make you sense? Know, yes. You know, when my husband proposed to me, Larry, in New York, we met at a singles bar in New York. I was 22 years old. And we met, and he proposed very quickly after we met. We fell in love very, very fast and very deep. And... When he proposed to me, I said, I don't think I'm going to be a very good wife. And he said, well, why do you say that? And I say, because I've had such a messed up life. And I was thinking of just the misery of all the years with my mentally ill stepmother. And I just, it had shaken my confidence. And I said to him, I don't think I'm going to be a very good wife. And he said to me, let me worry about that. Well, I've used that against him, Larry, through the years. I've used it against him. If he ever gets frustrated with me or upset with me, I'll say, look, Walter, I warned you when you proposed. And it's kind of an inside joke between the two of us. He has been so great all the way along in every way. He's the one who encouraged me to go to law school. He said, Nancy, you like helping people. You love school. you should have, he was way ahead of me. I was, I, in my mind, I was going to be a housewife like my mother, which I think of as a beautiful life, taking care of your family and your children. And my husband had a different view and he was, my husband's a school psychologist and an educational administrator and a very, a very kind, insightful, compassionate kind of a human being. And, and, He he said, Nancy, I think that it could lead to depression if you make your whole life as the life of a housewife. When you have this ability, you love school and you love helping people. He really encouraged me to to go to law school. And he's been like that my whole life. He's encouraged me to do anything I want to do. And he's just a remarkable man. Uh, I said to him recently, trying to squeeze a compliment out of him, I said, Walter, what's the biggest change you've seen in me since I've lost all this weight and I'm involved with OA and this new way of life? And I was trying to get him to say what a beautiful person I am and saying something really wonderful about me, Just trying to squeeze this out of him. I said, Walter, what's what's the biggest change you've seen? And he looked at me, he said, Okay, he said, what I've really noticed, you're all in. That's the phrase he used, all in. And and I think that's true, is OA is my life now. It is my highest priority because I know without OA as my highest priority, Larry, I would go back to sitting in old pajamas watching TV and eating 12 bagels at, at once. I know that that's somewhere lurking in me somewhere if I let it out. And the only thing that can prevent that is living this beautiful way of life and being involved in OA where it is my highest priority. Because without that, i go right into mental illness, spiritual illness, depression, and not to mention all the physical problems that would come with weight. And I have no doubt that I'd be up in the 300, 400-pound range this time. So that's that's my answer, Larry.
0: Thank you very much, Larry Kaye, for your question. Next up is Brenda. Is it Brenda A? With your question, please?
1: Yes, good morning, Brenda A from New York. Thank you all for your service. Um, Nancy,
0: thank you again. I do have a question for you. Um,
1: Nancy, how do you handle relapse if you have ever relapsed or you have sponsees or sponsors who have relapsed? I'd like to hear your take on that. Thank you. You know, that that really is a $64,000 question. (laughs) Brenda, I completely uh, respect the question because it is a serious, serious question. We all know if we do sponsoring that a large part of sponsoring is going to be people will relapse. And you have to go into sponsoring with the attitude that at least you're it's it's getting you in the big book. Because I sponsor solely with the big book. That's all I use is just the big book. Not that other materials aren't good, but it's just to me the simplicity and and the completeness of the big book just makes it just easier to just use that one book at least for me it does in in my experience and so brenda uh what i do is i take the person through the big book to go through the 12 steps with them so they can find recovery along the way if they relapse we talk about it because relapse can mean many things and It's kind of an evaluation that you, I don't think you can make blanket rules about it. This is just, again, my own opinion. I think you have to see, is this person really committed to recovery? Because recovery requires a huge commitment, a focus, a determination, a desire to be well, a desire to do the work, and a follow through to do the work. And uh, if the person is ambivalent, if they're starting to say, you know, maybe OA isn't for me, uh, this is taking too much of my time, uh, that's a common complaint people will make, uh, all kinds of excuses, then I kind of know it's not their time. And I often will tell them, look, we can stay certainly stay friends and I will support you. But I don't think it's working out between us. I don't think this sponsoring thing is working out. And, uh, uh, and I basically stopped working with them as a sponsee, although I'm always happy to help in any way I can. And I have, I have had certain people who we stopped and then they contacted me at a later point in time and, and I, and I took them back again as a sponsee. That person unfortunately relapsed again. And, you know, it's it's timing. Look, I didn't, I wasn't really ready to put this kind of focus on recovery, on OA until I was almost 70 years old. April 2nd, 2015, I was 69. I turned 70 May 24th, uh, 2016. And... uh, so the timing has to be right. The person has to really want it. You can't do it for them. You can't want it for them. Uh, but I never feel I've wasted my time, Brenda. If somebody relapses, and frankly, most people relapse, it is the, it is the unusual person that has the tremendous desire and drive and stick to itness. And whatever that is, it's the timing the wherever they are inside their head and inside their soul that they're ready for this that's the unusual person but when you find that person what a joy that is that's a joy but regardless of whether the person is that wonderful person who's ready for recovery and willing to give it everything or is the person who is going to relapse and maybe relapse many times You as the sponsor are not wasting your time because you are transmitting spiritual information, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spiritual information. And the more I can hear myself saying it and reading it to someone else, what a blessing that is to me. It's nourishing my soul. It's strengthening my recovery. It's putting the right thoughts up in my head. And speaking of thoughts up in my head, Brenda, One thing I encourage sponsees to do, and that has been so important to me in my recovery, is podcasts. Podcasts, when I I was mentioning before how I went to a meeting every night and I continue to do that through Zoom, when I get in bed, I put on a podcast. We have such magnificent speakers in OA. And if you Google Overeaters Anonymous speakers, uh, and then, of course, our own Vision for You website. We have hundreds of podcasts. What a fantastic collection for free of amazing speakers on every step and every issue in that big book. We are so lucky. So I, would get, I continue, Brenda, when I go to sleep at night, I put on a podcast. My ideas while I'm sleeping, these good thoughts are sinking into my brain. I hope I answered your question.
0: Thank you very much, Brenda A., for your question. Next up with a question for Nancy would be Jen A., and then Veronica, you'll come in after Jen. Good morning, Jen.
4: Hey, good morning, Mel. Thanks so much for your service today. Nancy J., my friend, Mel says you are the trumpet for OA, and you are with humility and grace, my friend. Um, I hope it's okay that I'm going to say this, and um A lady asked at the beginning, and because I have known you um, since 2017 when we danced and sang on the top of a mountain here in Colorado at a retreat, (laughs) you talked about, right, you talked about do it anyway today, the poem that you read, and action, um, and this focus, this commitment, this devotion over a period of time. And Mel talked about the pathway to peace is practicing the directions as outlined 1 through 12 on a daily basis. I was privy um, to a time in your life when you were hospitalized. And I'm wondering if you could go back um, and just share with people on the line today, because I remember the emails. I remember the texts that I received from you. What was it? How did you do it anyways and practice the directions as they were outlined 1 through 12 during that um, time in your life when you were sick and you were ill? Can you just share that? Would that be okay? Yes, I would love
1: to. I would love to. Jen, my brother died June 5th, 2020. The pandemic had started in March. Uh, you know, the re- in earnest. That that's when I stayed home. I didn't go into our law firm anymore. I just worked from home starting the middle of March 2020. My brother died June 5th. And okay, so I had most of June July, right in the beginning of August, I developed chest pains. And I went to the hospital and they immediately put me into the intensive care unit. And they drained fluid out of me. There was some kind of inflammation in my body. And to this day, they don't know what it was. They call it a virus of unknown origin, but they don't even know if it's really a virus. Something really triggered my immune system. I sometimes wonder if it could have been my brother's death. I mean, I've even been to Mayo Clinic to get a second opinion. Nobody knows, but they, what they do know is, and I had to go in the hospital three times that month. I kept coming back. Steroids calmed the whole thing down. So they put me on steroids. I I just recently got off them, so it took me this long. They had to taper them. Uh, And a few miracles from that experience. One is that God was with me in the operating room when they drained the fluid out of my body. God was with me in the intensive care unit. And while I was laying in the intensive care unit, just completely bewildered, wondering what in the world has happened to me? What's wrong with me? And as I say, nobody could really tell us why my body was reacting with all this inflammation and all this fluid. Uh, I'm laying in bed and my phone rings. And it's a stranger wanting to know if I would sponsor them. And they had no idea I was in the hospital. i just, they somehow got my name and number. And I laid there in, in the bed in the ICU and I talked to them for a while. And then I said, yes, I will sponsor you. And it made me feel alive. It made me feel connected. And my whole program went with me into the hospital. Uh, I remember a very heavy nurse came into my room and she looked at my breakfast tray and she said, You don't eat much, do you? And it gave me an opening. I told her all about Overeaters Anonymous and I told her that why I don't eat pancakes and I don't eat French toast, but I uh, just the simple way I eat. And uh, she was amazed. She almost couldn't believe I had ever been that heavy. I said, oh, yes. I said, yes. And I had pictures in my phone, and I showed it to her. So I try to share my program wherever I go. And uh, being in the hospital and really possibly dying with this very serious condition that now I'm 100% free of, by the way, and we still don't really know what happened, but uh, it didn't make a difference. It, You don't leave your program at home when you go into the hospital. Your program is with you. That's what's so beautiful about this way of life. Wherever you go, whatever you do, it's with you. God is with you. It says in the Big Book on page 55, it's deep down within us, and, and that's what I found. God went with me into the hospital, and you know what's funny? I want to mention the steroids. Is people warned me? They said, "Oh, you're going to put weight on because I was taking a heavy amount of steroids for a while," and no, I didn't put any weight on. I just monitored my weight. It says in the Big Book, sanity has returned, and. I just checked my weight, and if my weight started to go up the tiniest bit, i just cut back on a little bit what I was eating, and uh, I never went outside my five-pound. I give myself a five-pound range, and I weigh myself usually at least once a week. I'm one of those people who I feel better weighing myself, and I often weigh myself every day. And I have no problem with it. Again, that's just my own opinion, not that I'm telling anyone else to do that. But because I monitor my weight and sanity has returned, even taking steroids did not put my weight back on. And this is somebody who could not maintain a weight loss, no matter how hard I tried, before the miracle of recovery. With that, I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Jenny, for your question. Veronica C. from New York, you're up next with a question, and then Kathy
4: will follow you.
5: Hi. Hi, Veronica C. uh, from New York. Uh, Thank you, Melanie, for your service today, and I am so grateful that I tuned in and heard Nancy J. Nancy, your shares, I've heard you before, uh, but your shares are always so enlightening to me, and I... I'm very grateful for the fact that you are willing to be so open and so honest and also so loving, you know. You're a very loving human, (laughs) and uh, I really love you. So my question is, how did your sponsor that you had when you first got into the program, how did that sponsor take you through the steps, and how did that work for you?
1: You know, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting question because I went to a meeting in Aurora, Illinois, a face-to-face meeting. That was April 2nd, 2015. And I saw somebody who I admired in the meeting. She's a young woman, was lost about 200 pounds, seemed very sensible, very kind, And I asked her if she'd sponsor me. She used the OA workbook and she had me order it from Amazon. And it came overnight and we worked our way through that workbook. And uh, I've never used it again with anybody else. And there's no reason why not. I mean, I liked that workbook, but I was so motivated. I was so anxious to recover that, any system I think anybody would have used with me, taking me through the 12 steps, would have would have been very, very effective because I was so immersed. I've heard it said this is an immersion program. I was so immer- immersed in the podcast, the nightly meetings, the reaching out to people, the doing whatever the sponsor said. And... Uh, uh, and so I've never used the workbook again. I don't even I didn't even keep the workbook. I don't I don't even have a copy of what I used. But it was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. And uh I was so I was so happy to recover. I started to feel around step 9. I could feel the tremendous compulsion to eat. I could feel it lifting. It was getting easier even though I had been following a food plan all along since April 2nd. It was rough. I was so hungry. I was ready to eat the steering wheel on my car as I drove to meetings. But it all led up. It led up around step nine. I remember standing in my condo one night thinking, it's getting easier. It's getting easier. And now my feeling about going through the steps, Veronica, is, is that... It should be fast. It should be fast so people get recovery and get relief. And then you have the rest of your life to really study the big book in depth, which is a joy. It's a a joy, a lifetime joy of studying each word, each phrase in that book. But for the person who wants to recover, I think of it's a little like an emergency. It's a life and death emergency. You should take them through the steps quickly so they experience recovery. Kind of like if you had an emergency and you went to the emergency room, you would just be focused on get to the emergency room, get the emergency help. And that's the way I feel about this. The steps is take the person through quickly and then once they're recovered, then you can really start to analyze and really read it word for word and line for line. But if you do that, and you're taking them through the steps, at the same time, it's too slow a process. I believe that's just gonna increase their chances of relapsing along the way. So with that, I pass, thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Veronica C for your question. Kathy mister you're up next, please.
6: Hello, I'm Kathy Mr from Chicago. Nancy, Nancy, I have not dialed into this live meeting on Sunday morning in a long time randomly dialed in and you are our speaker this is amazing to me um i was probably one of your early sponsees i remember you standing up in a meeting in may of i think it was 2015 it might have been 2016 but saying you know you stood up to acknowledge that you were sponsored and you stood up a second time and said and i really need another sponsee and i was like there's my sign from god um i don't want to spend more time talking about your praises but i wanted you to share if you will Something that I've taken from you and I've shared with others. Um, and it's a tenth step um, method of getting through the day with tenth steps and um, specifically how you and I would do it with texting. and i I recently a few months ago started a little group of six women, and we do this every day throughout the day now. and it's just one of the legacies. and I know you learned it from another person in this room. Um, on this call, but uh, can you talk about that,
1: please? And we we yes. all love you. Thanks. I would I would love to, and and thank you for the question. Uh, page eighty four tells us very simply how to do a tenth step, and that tenth step is a big part of of not relapsing because you know with food we cover up our feelings, we shove our feelings down. Well, once you're on a reasonable food plan you're eating reasonable amounts of food, your emotions come to the surface. And uh, page 84 tells you what to do about those emotions. Now, in order to do page 84, which is step 10, you have to remember four words. You have to remember selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. You have to remember those four words and when I sponsor people, I tell them, don't think you're going to remember those four words. You have to have a memory trick of how to remember. How are you going to remember selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear? You have to make up a little memory trick. And I really encourage people I sponsor to to remember it. And why is it important? Because if you are going to re, be thinking throughout the day, all day long, am I experiencing selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear? It says continue to watch. Well, how can you continue to watch if you don't know what you're looking for? It's like someone saying, here, I want you to go out into into a park and I want you to look for these birds and they don't tell you what kind of birds to look for. How are you going to even watch for them? So logically, you have to know what you're looking for. So what's the trick? My trick, I thought, okay, I've got S, D, R, and F. Those, and I couldn't think of a word that would, uh, a memory device that would incorporate all four letters. So I, I decided to have a mental image of a sod roof, a little house that you'd see in Ireland, a little house with a sod roof. And so the sod roof is S-D-R-F. And whenever I have to think of those four things I'm looking for, I think sod roof. And I've taught that to many people I've sponsored, but I also encourage them to think of their own mnemonic device, because it doesn't matter what your trick is, you just have to remember them. And why do you have to remember them? Because that's what you have to do. Every time you're upset, every time you're disturbed, nervous, afraid, uh, wound up, uh, you ask yourself, what is the selfishness? What is the dishonesty? What is the resentment? What is the fear? And then you discuss it with someone else. If necessary, it could be a phone call, face-to-face, of course, is wonderful, but Usually we don't have the luxury of that. A telephone call is next best after that. A text message is, or an email is the next thing. It's, but do something, don't keep it in you. Don't keep it in you because if you keep it in you, you're, you're playing a dangerous game with, with potential relapse. We have to get these feelings out. We have to identify them. How do we learn to identify selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear? From going through our fourth step inventory, pages 65, 66, 67, we're learning how to identify selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And then we give them to someone else in in step five. So this is a skill set we need to have in order to have recovery, to have Again, the title of this talk today, Peace in Our Heart. Step 10 gives us peace in our heart. And uh, it even tells us uh, at the bottom of page 84, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. Why? Because we have to live in peace as recovered people. If we don't live in peace, if we're living in a world of fighting uh, and anger, we will relapse. The book tells us that again and again and again, that we we don't have the luxury of being people who fight and argue. And uh, we have to be people of of peace. With that, I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Kathy M R, for your question, and Christina J from Washington, your question, please.
3: Good morning, Nancy beautiful share. you really got me to thinking about something this morning, because I wake up every morning, and it's almost like what you said about having an atheist mind, and I wake up with either an atheist or an agnostic mind, I'm, my heart's not connected to anything, and the only thing that kind of brings me back to heart center is my meditation and prayer, my readings, they open up the gateway again, so that my mind comes into alignment with what I really know in my heart. I guess I don't know it in my mind, but my heart knows it, and then my heart, you know, kind of pumps that beautiful peace that you're talking about throughout my body and into my mind, and my mind is in calm and I don't feel like I'm atheist or agnostic anymore in my mind, although during the day I can easily go to those places. So I wanted to know what your 11th step looks like. I know you talked about making your bed uh, as a meditation to God or to something bigger than yourself. What does your 11th step in the morning look like as far as connecting to this God and this higher power you've talked about so lovingly? kind of interspersed with your atheist uh, mind. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, everything I do because I'm so immersed in this program, everything I do, uh, I have so many things I can talk about. Uh, my water pick, it's one of my new toys that I just love, uh, taking care of my teeth, and uh, which I consider to be a spiritual activity. And I use my water pick, and as I'm using the water pick uh, I'm thinking about God. The other day, I was counting my teeth and thinking of the twelve steps and each tooth I was using the water pick on, I thought about a step i mean that's how deeply this is in me, and when I take a bath uh i'll put on my uh put on a podcast sometimes um, One thing I wanted to suggest to people uh is um, in the front of their big book, there's a lot of blank space right in the front of the book. And what I was going to suggest is writing this in the front of your big book. You will never be alone again. Enter these pages and find a power to bring you peace and a sacred purpose to your life. I just think it'd be nice that every time you open your book, you see those words. And so that's really my answer is everything I do. Uh, And and it's so strange me saying this because of my, my, my actual atheism, but I just set that aside. I don't worry about it. You know, my son once said to me about another subject. He said, Mom, sometimes labels are not useful. And I'm starting to think that's true with the spiritual life, that labels don't have much meaning, really. It's what do you feel inside you? How are you living your life? What are you relying on? And and with that, I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Christina Jay, for your question. Thank you, everyone, for all of your questions. Nance, the time has gone by so quickly with you this morning. It's been so rich and so lovely. That would be our last question for today as we start the process of wrapping up this beautiful meeting. Thank you again for giving so much of your experience, strength, and hope born out of of the, the work that we do here out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to recover from compulsive overeating. Thank you so much. I'd like to repeat the share ID number for you all for this particular presentation this morning. Share ID number is one eight six four zero eighteen thousand six hundred forty, and I'd also like to give you the title of next week's Sunday special edition. I want to invite you personally to join us again next week. That will be Sunday, March 13, twenty twenty-two, and the title of that story is "The Story of How One Overeater Became Recovered." That gives me chills. I love that one as well. So if you'd indulge me, please, I'd like to read from the big book and close this meeting like we always do. And then we will continue on. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. be with you Fellowship of the spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you.